Well, good morning, everyone. Um, so today is Father's Day, as Beth named for us, which I know can be celebratory and can hold its own complexities and tenderness. And this is also the weekend of Juneteenth. So I thought that today, as we return to the Psalms, we could spend some time talking about power. In both our patriarchal systems and systems of what many call white supremacy, I actually saw a helpful video earlier this week um, where educator and author Britt Hawthorne actually encourages people to use white domination instead. But in these overlapping systems, it is impossible to ignore the topic of power. How clinging to power can corrupt and dehumanize and perpetuate injustice. And yet, as people connected to the Christian tradition in whatever way that feels true for you, we are told that we have a powerful God and that we can trust in this powerful God. When we look to the Psalms, as we have been doing the past several weeks through the book 21 Psalms for the 21st Century by Marjorie Suhaki, there's so much language regarding the power of God. It is everywhere. And so I wonder what comes to mind for you as you think of power, someone having a lot of power or God being powerful, and feel free to share um, throughout this time on Discord as well if anything comes to mind. As I thought about it more this week, and I wonder if this feels true or helpful for anyone else, I realized that I have different connotations and images of someone who has a lot of power and someone who is powerful. Let me explain a little bit more. When I think of someone who has a lot of power, I think of people with status and platforms and those with influence on a big level, people who could sign bills into place that impact the masses for better or worse, those typically with a great deal of wealth and control. This is kind of a power doled out by capitalism. The more white, male, cis, straight, educated you are, the greater potential for possessing this power you have. This is power almost as a possession that you are pushed to accumulate. But on the flip side, when I think of powerful people in my life, I think of the poets and musicians and activists and storytellers that have the ability to cut through the noise and speak truth. I think of my favorite college professor, Mary Trujillo, who carried this quiet steadiness that made even ordinary lectures feel like something you'd want to write down every word to, to remember it. And we have this gut reaction, right, when listening to someone speak or seeing a beautiful performance that, wow, that was powerful. And that feels really different than thinking about people in power banning anything that makes them uncomfortable or hoarding wealth. We instinctively know this to be true, that there are different types and uses of power that impact all of us, and that impacts what we think of of a higher power, a God that is supposed to be both powerful and good. And so the main question that I'd love for us to think through today is what is the best version of power we can hope in? We're going to take a moment here to turn to the Psalms. Um, and we will put this up on the screen as we read through our psalm for today. Psalm 146, praise for God's help. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. 
Do not put your trust in princes and mortals in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. So as we look at this psalm, this has kind of a, what I'm calling a redemptive power checklist. God creates, God faithfully sustains, God brings about justice, God feeds the hungry, God liberates those who are imprisoned, God heals, God increases our ability to see more clearly, God empowers, God loves, God sees and upholds. Now, the more authoritative names for God, like Lord or Ruler, this one had Lord all over it, have always been a little bit trickier for me, personally. But when you align this authority with this list of redemptive actions, it makes sense why you would want to trust in a God like this. In fact, the passage begins with praise, which we talked about last week, that praise is a participatory and active when we are praising God, we are or we should be moved to participate in line with how God acts in the world. Marjorie Suhaki writes about this in her reflection on the psalm. We can put this up there on the screen. She says, do you see what the psalmist does in this extraordinary description of how God acts? The acts of God flow from the nature of God. And from the depths of the divine nature flows an unending river of steadfast love, of compassion, of caring even for the least, until we must confess that in God's eyes there is no least. And so this becomes a checklist of how we should be acting and voting in the world, not from a position of being a savior for anyone. But if we know there is a redemptive and hopeful flow of compassion, why wouldn't we be compelled to participate in that flow? How different things would look if people who had more power acted in this way, if there was a flow of unending river of steadfast love, of compassion, of caring even for the least until we must confess that there is no least. As an aside, this is one of the reasons why the misinterpretation of the Christian idea of being in the world but not of the world drives me slightly crazy. <laughs> Most often we see this weaponized to not affirm the LGBTQ community or to not support anti-racist efforts. How can you look at this list? And this is just one place in scripture, a non-exhaustive list of the character of God, and claim that you are called to be separate from worldly things. When God is purposefully entangled with humanity and not separate from the realities that we face. This is a God who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. 
The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow. This mindset in the world but not of the world can be an excuse to stay separate and not care about the injustices that don't seem to impact you directly. But God clearly cares, and caring is the bare minimum. And so as we think of God's power and compassionate actions in the world, I'd like to talk through three different elements of God's power and how they help to counter some of the unhealthy, unhelpful images of power that we may hold. I wish they all started with the same letter because I love when that happens, but that's not the case for today. So the first one is that God's power is connecting. When we think about abuses of power or obsession with power, the result is usually divisive and hierarchical. It's not a stretch to say that every politically charged conversation and their resulting real-time consequences that we are surrounded by revolve around power. Corrupt power divides and divides and divides. But when we look to the list in Psalm 146, we see that God is leveling this separation, bringing about justice, lifting up those who have been brought down, prioritizing those on the margins. And this becomes the blueprint for how Jesus navigates life as well. Communal restoration is always a focus in the story. As he heals and teaches and wanders, Bringing people together and closing divides is one of his main concerns. This division happens on a communal level. I feel like we talk about this a lot, that um, it's easy to see how polarized things are in our world. But this can happen on a personal level as well. We can become divided selves. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. But I think that there can be this tendency to be disconnected from what we value from who we are, not because we don't care, but for the sake of ease and accessibility. We are bombarded by demands and the sheer amount of information that we have access to about everything happening at the world is overwhelming. And because of this, there are ways, both small and significant, that we can perpetuate injustice and contribute to deepening divides because of convenience. While it can be easy to look externally at how divided people are and make commentary about that, it may actually be more helpful to check in with yourself. Am I a divided self? We can go back to Sue Hockey's words here that the acts of God flow from the nature of God. And so for a question here that I'd love for us to consider is, is the way I act align with what I believe and who I am? Do my decisions flow from my priorities and values? Or am I just doing what's convenient and in front of me? And the goal here isn't heaping on guilt or increasing the overwhelm, but just an honest assessment. A really simple prayer that I found helpful and that we've already prayed this morning is, God, collect me. Collect us. That's a counter to the divide, knowing that the power of God can heal the lack of connection communally and internally. The next element of power we'll talk about is that God's power is loving. And maybe this feels simplistic, but I think for many people, love is actually not the logical starting place of power. And yet it has to be if the source of the power has any chance of being trustworthy or good. 
Vince has talked about this in a way before that's been helpful for me to think about this difference between all controlling power versus influencing power. A mantra of mine a couple years ago in whatever round of unlearning and relearning I was in the midst of became, I'd rather have a God who loves than a God who's in control. I'd rather have a God who loves than a God who's in control. And when you have this love, this compassion as the root, the starting place of God's power, it counters any form or use of power that isn't inherently loving. Pastor Judy Peterson, who some of you may follow on Instagram as walking pastor, has a great pillow that makes an appearance in the background of some of her posts that's stitched with the words, God is not an ass. So you can add that to the list of things that I want on a mug. I love how simple it is and obvious it is. And yet the name of God gets forged on so many occasions to back up hateful actions and theologies that it's actually a necessary reminder. And so a question here that I'd love for us to consider is, is love my starting point? And I would love to hear what that actually looks like or means for you, for love to be your starting point. This is God's starting point. God is not an ass. God starts with love. Is that my starting point? And what this means in a really practical way for me is that when your theology or your ideology or worldview comes up against humanity, choose people every time. Confidently choose whatever is most loving and know that that aligns with God's presence and character. Jesus offers a filter of love as his main instruction that this is the greatest commandment, to love your neighbor, and power is not exempt from that command. So God's power is connecting. God's power is loving. The last element that I want us to talk through today is that God's power is liberating. Liberation is essential to God's power, and it needs to be central to, in guiding how we navigate life. This is not an optional piece of the puzzle. And I want to name how important liberation theology, particularly black and womanist liberation theology, has been informing my understanding of God, the character of God, and the way that God acts in the world I think that we do have a list somewhere on Discord of sources um, around liberation theology, but we are always happy to provide more if you're looking for something to read or listen to. The theologian James Cohn puts it this way. We can put this up on the screen. He says, truth is divine action entering our lives and creating the human action of liberation. Truth is divine action entering our lives and creating the human action of liberation. So this is invitational, it's participatory. It requires something of us. Liberation is included in our divine power checklist in Psalm 146. The Lord brings about justice for the oppressed and sets the prisoners free. Jesus himself reiterates this. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to set the oppressed free. This is a part of his mission statement, if you want to call it that. And I know that we've been hanging out quite a bit in the Psalms lately, but I want to spend a moment looking at um, the part of the crucifixion story, actually, in the Gospels, the books of the Bible that detail Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. 
I'll go ahead and summarize this particular story for us. Right before Jesus was crucified, before he was killed, there's an exchange between the crowd that's gathered and the local leader, Pilate. It was custom at the time of the festival taking place for one prisoner to be released from imprisonment and spared from crucifixion. And so Pilate asks the crowd if he should release Jesus or if he should release another prisoner. Some translations say a notorious or well-known prisoner, Barabbas. And the crowd demands that Jesus be crucified and Barabbas be released. Now, this part of the story, when I heard it growing up, was either glossed over or painted Barabbas as kind of the guilty sinner that was freed to counter Jesus as innocent victim. And we didn't really think much beyond that. A few years ago, however, I was in a seminary class at Stateville Correctional Center alongside men who are incarcerated. And we were reading the crucifixion story and it dawned on me that the very first product of Jesus dying on the cross is that someone who was imprisoned was set free. Barabbas experiences freedom, even if by society standards he was deserving of punishment, and that is the beginning of the redemptive arc of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. It starts with someone who is imprisoned being set free. Liberation is essential, and freedom is not some vague concept, but an embodied possibility. In that same class, I can remember vividly one conversation where one of my classmates urged us to think about what we are being held captive by, what we are imprisoned to, similar to how Vince had us reflect on, like, is there something that is keeping you from being free? And this classmate reminded us that even for those of us in the room who got to leave through the many security gates at the end of class, we could still actually not be free. And in fact, this type of imprisonment can be even more insidious, he said, because you may be walking around not even aware of what you're held captive by. And when I think back to James Cone's words, this connection between truth-telling and action and liberation truth-telling about what we need to be freed from, which can be really difficult sometimes, and about the realities that others need to be freed from is a divine partnership that can bring about liberation in really powerful ways. So a question that I'd love for us to consider here is what are you in need of liberation from? And how can you participate in the liberation of others? As we close, I'll return us to the question that we started off with. What is the best version of power that we can hope in? This connecting, loving, liberating power is existent in the nature of God, a trustworthy and good God, a gentle Father. But we actually have to believe that this version of power is possible in the world around us as well. Cole Arthur Riley, whose prayer we looked at this morning and used today, says something like, in lament, we don't need to convince someone of the brokenness of the world. That's pretty evident. People don't need convincing of that. We convince them of the world's worth in the first place, that it is worthy of goodness. And I found it interesting that as I was planning for this morning, I did a little experiment. 
And if you look up powerful pictures, just a really basic search, powerful pictures, you will see a lot of beautiful photography. But the subjects of the photography is what struck me because the vast majority of the top results are images of protests, war, and poverty. That's what comes up with powerful images. These are direct results of abuses of power, direct clashes of those who possess a lot of power and those who are refusing to diminish their own inner power. And it struck me that yes, we see these heart-wrenching results of the corruption of power, but we also see those who refuse to stop fighting for the goodness of humanity, the goodness of the world, their own inner goodness, those participating in the compassionate and redemptive flow of God. And we need a picture of a God that is rooted in such a resilient goodness to guide us. I was encouraged by this James Baldwin quote that I'll leave us with. He writes, if the concept of God has any validity or any use, it can only be to make us larger, freer, and more loving. If God cannot do this, then it is time we got rid of him. I'll read that one more time. If the concept of God has any validity or any use, it can only be to make us larger, freer, and more loving. If God cannot do this, then it is time we got rid of him. And maybe those words feel drastic to some of us, but to me they feel abundantly hopeful. The signs of God's power, of good power, would be that we as a collective are larger, freer, and more loving. Would we look to the examples of those who model this well? Would we know that this is possible, to act in this flow of compassionate power and love in the world? And as we honor Juneteenth, would liberation be on the forefront of our minds, knowing that liberation is the priority of the God who partners with us? As we pray, I will read through part of Psalm 146 for us again, and then I'll leave some space for us to pray through the questions that I've invited you to consider today. If you want to jot these down and use this as a reflective tool for later, please feel free to. I was listening to a podcast a while ago, and the person being interviewed said that we are formed actually more by the questions we collectively ask than the answers we collectively arrive at. So I like that idea of encouraging what questions are we asking as a community. So I'll read these words for us as a reminder of the way that God's power operates in the world. It's a power that we can participate with and partner with, and then I'll guide us through these questions to close. If you will join me, get comfy in your seat. Feel free to close your eyes if that helps you to focus in. We'll also put the words on the screen if you'd like to read along. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord.
If you take a moment just to breathe. God, what is the best version of power that I can hope in? Is the way I act aligned with what I believe and who I am? Do my decisions flow from my priorities and values? Is love my starting point? What am I in need of liberation from? How can I participate in the liberation of others? God, as we pray, as we sing, as we listen, as we reflect and hope, would you continue to collect us? Collect us internally. Collect us communally. Would we look to you as one who is a guide and a partner, one who is purposefully entangled with humanity In the ongoing mix of celebration and grieving and navigating the day-to-day, God, would we continue to find places that feel stable and steady? Would liberation feel like a possible reality internally and externally as well? And would we feel encouraged Would we be listening and open to participate in the flow of your compassionate power and action in the world? Would you sustain us and provide rest? Amen.